This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Ah, I've been listening to that drum pattern for a while now. He's good, isn't he? <laughs> they know how to play, don't they? Yeah, I really do. They kind of got the hang of it by now, Booker T and the MGs. Yeah. All right, you can go now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you guys are more than welcome because it is the afternoon here on 3 Triple RFM on what I would say to you is a glorious uh, pre-autumn kind of day. It feels like, did I say this last week? It feels like we might have uh, gotten through the worst of summer. And I know that's uh, a dangerous thing to say. Uh, dangerous. Pl- plenty of Feb to come. Talked but- to John about that before coming up. Right. Yeah, he said no. It's been quite mild here in Melbourne, obviously chaos uh, around some other parts of the state and this country, but... Um, we've dodged the bullet, really. We've we faced mild it. summer, yes. We've, I mean, we've had a couple couple days. Yep. But, Lord, not like the rest of the country, and uh, there's been a lot of suffering, and dare I say it, north of the Tropic of Capricorn, mm-hmm. um, if you are a uh, someone on the land especially um, a beef farmer, you would be just crying rivers of tears. Yeah, it's a tough life even when things are going well, mm. being a primary producer. Sure is. Um, and when things are not going well, it is... Uh, I can't heartbreaking. Even, yes, that's a good way of putting it. It is, mm. it is just an absolute heartbreak. So anyway, we don't want to start on a, on a downer. Um, but we've got a really, really fun show for you today. Mm. Uh, there has been a person who has uh, come to Melbourne, a real force of nature, shall we say, mm. who has redefined, relentlessly engineered yes. the croissant. Uh, Lines of people queuing up every day to buy a humble croissant. A noble thing, man. Is it? Saying. Is it? <laughs> yeah, right? it can be. I mean... <laughs> You know, it's it's ubiquitous. Um, it's one of those things, you know, when you, you talk about food fads, you know, mm. the cupcakes. Oh, the cupcakes. I forgot about them. Yeah. That was all thanks to Sex in the City back in the, the 90s. Was it? Yeah. Really? Are they, are they responsible for that? Cupcakes and Cosmopolitans. Oh, cupcakes thanks, and Cosmos. Thanks, Sarah Jessica Parker. God, talk about mixing your things together. <laughs> cupcakes and Cosmos. I forgot about dreadful. But you're saying we Macarons. Now... Macarons. Oh, another God, one. yes. I forgot about them too. Uh, jump the shark. You can now get a macaron at McDonald's. That's when you yes. know. <laughs> and you're now saying, so we, are we in the middle of peak croissant in nope. Melbourne? Nope. We're not? No, I'm, I'm actually arguing the fact that uh, there is the croissant constant. <laughs> right. It's just always been. Fads I mean, come and go. Fads come and go, but a croissant remains. Yes. True. You can, though. Geez, you can get some bad you ones. You can do the rock and roll thing, and you can have to hold up the croissant so it's like rock and roll. Have you ever like had one of those horrible ones you get from the supermarket in like packs of five or something? And oh. they're, just, they're just doughy, and then they're sort of made to be shaped like a croissant. That They're just they're disappointment packaged. You put it so well. I just mm. if, if only there was a... Well, it's probably good there's not a webcam in here, but uh, my, <laughs> I, I hung my head, and, mm. uh, and uh, you've sort of done it, but I call them the croissant... Of disappointment. Yes. Because you will always have them and you will always be disappointed with it. It's to go, no. It's like, it's like the, I don't know, it's like the, the, um, the, the Pablo of, um, international roast mm. of like coffee, you know? It's like, you will always have a go, oh, the blend 43. Yeah. But, um, I managed to catch up with yes. Kate Reed. Um, and she is the, uh, owner and purveyor at, uh, Lune Croissant. 
Yes, I'm probably not saying that right. But, um, yes, she's the uh, the driving force, and she is a driving force behind it. And mm. uh, I had about three-quarters of an hour with her, and uh, this actually leads me to the thing in that uh, mm. we have an extensive interview which pretty much talks about this epiphany mm. that she has. Uh, it's all about opening a cookbook and looking at a, a glorious centrefold of a pan au chocolat mm. in incredible high-definition detail, which made her go to Paris. Yes. But um, the thing is there, is, there is more to this story, and uh, we're going to do something quite unusual in the fact that uh, we will do a podcast. Mm. Is that correct, Matt? That's the, yeah, let's go with that. Yes? Mm. We've got to call it a podcast? Yeah. Is that okay to de yeah. to call it these things today yeah. for the kids? Um, well, there will be a recorded <laughs> he's, thing. He's such an old man. <laughs> What are the kids calling it? What are the kids calling it now today? What? It's a what? What? Uh, No, but what we're going to do is we're going to have the full interview, which talks about her time at uh, Formula One. Yes. um, And what that led to. uh, And it goes for about 40 minutes. But what we are going to be doing is this going to be about a... 20, what are we, 24 minutes? Something like that. Focusing yeah. more on the food here on Triple R. That's it. So yeah. stay tuned for the loon story. Um, I think it's pretty good. Yes. We're going to have a chat to John at the market because yes. we masked this time of year. He disagrees with you, by the way. He really? still says, Look, I, I, it's I could still be wrong. summer. I'm it's happy, still summer. I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Probably well, am. It's, um, it's going to go for a little bit longer. Mm. Uh, and then... Um, we're going to focus a little bit, as I said before, the north of the Tropic of Capricorn. We're going to talk to Anna Kelly, who is uh, the owner of Plains Paddock Lamb. She's a mm-hmm. she's a sheep farmer mm-hmm. up in uh, in Victoria, but she has her ear to the ground and has been aware of what has been going on, the tragedy that has befalled. Um, well, let's see the uh, the farmers and especially. The animals. The livestock, yeah. And we're not just talking, I mean, it ain't just livestock. It's like goannas and dogs and mm. all sorts of um, things that have um, been affected by not only the floods, mm-hmm. but then two days of icy cold wind. Yeah. Right. Which then just, anyway, it's, mm. it's not much. But there is some good news. Uh, there are some people that are uh, going up to help. So I think maybe as... Victorians mm-hmm. and as urban dwellers, I think it is kind of important that we're aware of the plight and the great hardship and work mm. that happens, the blood, sweat, the toil, literally, yes. um, of people on the land. So I think we, we do this just so that we have a uh, an understanding. So it's 12.08 here on 3 Triple RFM. Matt wants to pay some rent before we get into the Kate Reed interview. Yeah. That's correct? Yeah, let's do that, and then we'll uh, come back and have a chat together. And I need to just set this up a little bit for mm. us because we're sort of missing the first part of it. <laughs> You're listening to Eat It on 3 Triple RFM. And a bit of Devo. Next week. Yeah, next week we're uh, going to be there. We're the, uh, the opening act. For it, and uh, I think you can probably look out for some super normal hibachis. Ah, yes, you were saying yeah. we might just have uh, some hibachi action. Hibachi! Duncan Buchanan, I think, is coming down too. Ooh. The Duncan Buchanan quiz. So, if you've got nothing on next Sunday, and let's fingers crossed for the weather, uh, just jump on the 96 tram and come to series, and uh, you can, like we do, hang back, have a couple of beers, and listen to the Melbourne Barbecue Orchestra. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. It's good fun. It, it is. is good fun. All right. Uh, 12.11 here on 3 Triple RFM. I went down to Rose Street Fitzroy mm. there in this brick building. 
uh, is this great juxtaposition between old and new, the cube. If you haven't seen the cube, you need mm. to go in, Matt. That's your homework. Yes, right. You need to go in there and check that out. But I got to uh, meet Kate Reid because I'd certainly heard about her mm. but um, hadn't met her. Um, there has been lots that has been written about her, columns and columns and mm. columns and columns and columns. Uh, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to hear her voice, to hear her story about how she transitioned? Because if mm. there's a theme for this this life, it is an amazing thing of transition. So, um, Kate, she's smart. She knows figures yep. and maths yep. and all that sort of stuff. So much so that she did a five-year aerospace degree. Um, also, one of her favourite things that she did with her childhood was sit up late with her dad to watch the Formula One. Mm. And it would have been the days of um, um, James Hunt, I would imagine. Yeah, right. And who else was the other the uh, commentator? I've forgotten his name. Yeah, I've forgotten uh, his Murray, name. Murray Walk- uh, Walker? Maybe. Anyway, it yeah, doesn't matter. So, <laughs> watching Formula One, that was her love. Somehow, not mm. somehow, through great determination, she managed to get a job at the Williams team. Yes. Um, one of the only women out of 500 staff. In fact, she yeah. said, I had to share Sir Frank's toilet, which was the disabled toilet, because <laughs> they just hadn't bothered to do that. Mm-hmm. She was working on the fr- anything in front of the wheels, mm. so the wings, the brake, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Um disillusionment finally sort of came from her career in doing that. Mm-hmm. You'll have to listen to the full interview to uh, to find out why. Yes. But slowly she found herself loving hospitality and wanting to give that a go. And the vehicle for that, excuse the pun, was Cumulus. Yeah. The fact she was working just around the corner mm-hmm. and she would uh, sit in the uh, on the bar, mm-hmm. third seat from the right, thank you very much. She said I should have a plaque <laughs> very, there. Very precise. Very. Pre- well, that is, you're, you're getting a theme here. Yes. You are getting a theme. And um, she thought, mm, maybe it is food that I need to be doing. It's actually hospitality. It's calling to me. Um, I think it is. And so she got a job working um, in hospitality in a, uh, I think it was a, a place in Camberwell. Mm. And I think that's probably where we should start this interview. 1214, 3 RFM, the Kate Reed story and the loon croissant. At the time I was working in a cafe and I went up to the library to borrow this beautiful book, like a coffee table book that they had on Paris patisseries because I was starting to form this interest in the very intricate French pastry style. So then I came back home, randomly opened up the book to a double-page photo of really zoomed-in pan au chocolat, all, I can still remember it so vividly. I could open up this, I could open up the book to the exact page now. Yes. And all of the layers were just so perfectly defined. And I closed the book, walked straight up to Flight Centre and booked a ticket to Paris. No way. So I went into work the next day and I told the boss that I'd done that. And that at the time I was working at this beautiful little cafe in Camberwell. Yeah. I said, Mary, I'm going to Paris in September on holiday. And she said, can I come with you? Ooh. And then her husband overheard and he said, well, can I come as well? So the three of us trekked over to Paris. We shut the cafe. Yeah. Trekked over to Paris in the September. It was their wedding anniversary while we were there. And for six days, we spent three, we, the three of us just walking around Paris together. And on the seventh day, they said, look, it's our wedding anniversary. Do you mind if we just have the day together? And by this stage, I was thinking, I'm sure they need a bit of a break from me. 
So instead I walked across from the left bank to the right bank yes. to Canal Saint-Martin, which is the 10th arrondissement, right. into the little boulangerie where the photo of the pain au chocolat had been taken and walked into this bakery and it was... There were the pain au chocolat, but there were dozens of other varieties of the most beautiful viennoiserie I'd ever seen. And I think I must have been standing gobsmacked in the middle of this boulangerie and the shop assistant started to laugh at me. And in broken French, I tried to explain to her I'd seen the photo in a book in Melbourne and I'd booked my ticket here because of that. This is why I'm here. Yeah. So this is like my holy grail. So she slowly explained to me in French that the owner spoke a bit of English and she went to get him and I told him the story and he gave me all these pastries for free and and was thrilled that I'd visited the bakery. So I went and sat on the steps of Montmartre and took a nibble of each pastry. Yes. And the next day I sent him an email thanking him because I'd been so blown away by them. And at the end of the email I said, oh, look, is there any chance you'd ever consider taking on an apprentice i'd love to learn from you and he wrote back immediately and said we're very small nobody in the boulangerie speaks english except for me and it's very unusual for us to do that but i can actually see the same passion in you that's in me when would you like to start so a few months later i was on a plane back to paris to learn the art of viennoiserie so what was he like to work with so I actually... What was his name? Sorry. His name's Christophe Vasseur. Vasseur. And his bakery is Dupane Desidé, which is beautiful still to this day. Their pan des amis, this enormous slab loaf of bread, is to this day still the best bread I've ever had in my life. The bread of friends. Correct. Yeah, okay, yep. got it. Yeah. So I worked under his head pastry chef, a guy called Sebastian, who had... Less than no time for me. Yes, and he would have been um, appalled that you were even there was, that at was, the beginning. He was truly appalled. Yeah, like, Look, truly imagine. appalled. As only the French can be. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, but the pastry chef... How did you win him over? Did you win him over in the end? You did, never did. I, he now loves me. Every yeah. time I go back to Paris, he's thrilled to see me. But for the time I worked at the bakery, he didn't want a bar of me. Uh, I was this... Non-French speaking, lack of pastry yeah. knowledge. As your roast beef. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but okay, but you endured. And well, you... he had another girl working there called Yung Ji, who was a pastry chef from Korea, oh. who trained under Pierre Hermé. She'd done her apprenticeship, and then she was the other full-time pastry chef. And Yung Ji felt really sorry for me, so she taught me everything. She was your ally in the kitchen. But she didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Korean. Right. So we would speak broken French to each other. And I think I came back to Australia speaking French with a Korean accent. Yeah, fantastic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is a croissant? Let's define it for people. Like the best breakfast ever. A Duh. croissant and a coffee, you can have one in each hand. Potentially, if you want to be French, you can dunk your croissant in your coffee. But... How do you eat your croissant? Do you rip off the, the, the tails and then do the middle? No, I don't tear. I just bite. I really, I enjoy crunching through the layers with my teeth. I find, but everybody has their own way of doing it. I don't like cutting it. It's, no. yeah. No. And then, like, it's really nice just licking your finger at the end and then getting all the little crumbs off the plate. I like that bit too. So, waste not, want not. <sighs> it's such a ritual, isn't it? But yeah. um, can we just define it as, how do you define... Not the idea of a croissant, but the reality, the formula, the thing. What 
is well, a croissant. So for me, a croissant is truly a celebration of the quality of the butter that it's made with. Yes. And if you can't taste butter in a croissant, it's not a croissant. Yes. Um, a croissant should, for me, my ideal croissant should be beautiful and crispy and golden on the outside. And when you bite into it, it should almost shatter. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the inner folds or layers, which is a honeycomb structure, you should be eating it when it's still warm out of the oven. So those layers haven't yet had the chance to seize up and set, but they're soft and buttery. And for me, a croissant should not be sweet. It should err on the side of savoury. And the butter flavour should be so inherent. It shouldn't leave a greasy taste in your mouth. Just utter enjoyment. So, yeah. And it should leave you not feeling very full. Like, it's it's a light... A light... It's, it's like having... Essentially, calorie-wise, it's having a piece of toast generously spread with butter, but the butter's just distributed. What sort of a dough is a croissant dough for people to understand? Uh, it is a enriched... Oh, some can be enriched, so um, fat products added. Like, if you... A base dough is sort of water with flour, salt, sugar, and yeast. You can enrich it by adding a fattier product. For example, uh, milk... enriches the dough Uh, eggs enrich the dough everybody has a slightly different tweak for their croissant recipe I'm obviously not going to reveal what's in mine because it's incredibly different to everybody else's Um, and I think it's probably one of the things that that sets us apart I don't think it is the thing that sets us apart but um, yeah it's it's a well kept loon secret Secret, and it shall not come out but is there a comparison to be made between, say, puff pastry, where you are folding the uh, your dough that you have made with fat, in this case, beautiful, beautiful butter? Is is that sort of a, a good thing for people to get their heads around, analogy-wise? So the only difference between puff pastry and croissant pastry is puff pastry does not have yeast in it. So um, you don't need to prove puff pastry. Once you've made it, it's ready to use croissant. You need to activate the yeast in the dough Mm -hmm. and allow the the product to prove before it's baked. Mm -hmm. But yes, with croissant pastry, we go through the same process of laminating butter into the mother dough. So you can create those separate layers of dough and butter. Mm. Um, We're looking across at uh, the famous cube. And if you haven't been in here to see it, it is really something amazing. For some reason, this does remind me of this could be a Formula One workshop. Yeah. Yeah? Yep. Come on, how does that, is the design of what you saw in the workshops, how did that inform the construction of this? Well, to go back to the introduction of this segment, yes. um, this actually used to be originally a small goods factory. Oh, thank you. Good. And then it was a wholesale bagel factory. And when we came across it, it had been empty for about 10 years. Nathan Tolman, who I worked for at Three Bags Full, he had signed the lease on this site. And at the time, he opened Kettle Black. And at the opening party, Cameron and I said to him, hey, Nathan, do you know of any good sites? We're absolutely bursting from the seams at Elwood. We think we need to move into a bigger premises so we can increase our production capacity. And he said, it's funny you say that. Here are the keys to this site in Fitzroy. Go and have a look. I I just happen to have it. Ready to go. Yep. yep. I think he was thinking about doing a coffee roastery here, but when he saw the beauty of the building, he... So it was literally an empty shed with nothing in it. Yeah. 
and when he realised the beauty of the the internal building, he thought maybe it would be a bit wasted just on a wholesale coffee roastery. Yeah, true. So he was looking for a usage for it. Yes. And Cameron and I walked in this particular afternoon and looked around. Yes, Cameron, Cameron is your Cameron is my brother and my business partner. Yes. He joined me and Loon about eighteen months after I founded it. Gotcha. Yep. And helped me turn the business from a small wholesale croissanterie into the little retail shop down at Elwood. He has a lot of front of house hospitality experience and was definitely the expert in, in turning the business into a customer facing business. Gotcha. So what did he think when he walked in? Well, we both fell in love with it. We thought it's far too big for what we need, but couldn't you do something special with this space? And we were both a little bit reminded of, you know, that scene in Ocean's Eleven where they take a disused warehouse down at the docks and build that perfect replica of a bank vault? Yes. And you'd never know it from the outside. Yes. And we thought, how cool would it be if this nondescript, like, turn-of-the-century warehouse in the back streets of Fitzroy had this space-age climate-controlled glass cube dropped in the centre where it's kept completely spotless. Like, this actually does remind me of the race bay at the Williams F1 factory. Yes. Which you could have eaten your dinner off the floor. Absolutely, and that's the thing, isn't it, about uh, at that level? Just precision. And the fact that it's on show to everyone, everyone can see how spotless we work. And most bakeries will sprinkle flour on the laminator, which is the big mechanical rolling pin. They're usually, the belt is usually covered in flour, isn't it? That's right, you've seen that. and. And also on the bench. But at Loon, I've developed the recipe and the process such that flour is never added to any of those parts of the process because adding flour actually changes that perfect ratio that you put into the mixing bowl. I got this work I've done in the wind tunnel. That's right. (laughs) And then you're going to put some gaffer tape on it. Exactly. <laughs> what is the gaffer tape doing on there? Yeah, think how that would change the boundary. Frank wouldn't be Frank happy. Would, Frank would really not be happy. Frank would be spewing. I think one of those 3,000 CVs on the desk would be getting your job. Yes, I think we'd be putting them forward very, very quickly. So, Elwood. So, yeah, here we are in the queue, but, but how is this transition? You started off in this, I imagine, very, very small place in Elwood. Very makeshift kitchen. Yeah. So I was working at Three Bags Full when I came back from France. Couldn't find a good croissant in Melbourne to save myself. I'd like to make a footnote here that now there are some very good examples of croissants around Melbourne. Okay, so you've so lifted the whole game around you. Well, I'm not going to say that I have, but I think the game in general has lifted and there are some exceptional bakers out there now producing very delicious croissants. Mm. But when I got back, I couldn't find one and it was my mission. Every day off I had from work, I would find a new bakery to go to and try a croissant. And they all fell below my Parisian expectations. Oh my God, I can just imagine it's like this. Oh. I got to the point where I wouldn't even finish it if I was disappointed. So I was like, oh, no, this isn't worth it. I'm leaving. (laughs) I'm out of here. So Um, one day I had this thought, well, I've actually got the knowledge. Why don't I just start making croissants myself? And if I could choose, I'd like to go to Patricia Coffee Brewers or Everyday Coffee or Clement Coffee that was at South Melbourne Market and stand at those places and have a beautiful Melbourne coffee. Yes. And a beautiful croissant. Maybe I could make croissants and supply them to my favourite businesses. Right. So I found... So you approached them? No. No. So I found the little site down at Elwood. I spent about three months recipe testing until I had a product that I was happy to take out as samples. Yes. And then 
interesting little interlude. Woodfrog Bakery, which started down in St Kilda. Yes. Jared and Danny approached me and said, look, we don't have a pastry kitchen set up yet. Would you make our pastries for us? So they were my first customer alongside my brother's newly opened cafe in Port Melbourne. Gotcha. So I'm supplying to Woodfrog Bakery and my brother's cafe. This morning I was standing in the new Loon CBD shop and a guy opposite the counter said to me, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. And he said, seven years ago when you were supplying croissants to Woodfrog Bakery, I was one of your first customers and I'd come into Woodfrog just before you'd get there with the little box of pastries delivered and he said, I'm still eating them seven years later. So I reckon I found like the longest standing loon customer today. How great is that? Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul, if you're there and well done for your... Uh, your persistence, and that was sort of a trademark of the thing, that suddenly there were all these people obsessed with your product because they got it, didn't they? I think so. I think, like, when I first started talking to family and friends about opening a croissanterie, Mm. everybody said to me, well, you can't just sell croissants. Like, you'll have to do bread and muffins and cakes because who in their right mind opens a business that just makes croissants? Did anybody say cupcakes as well? Oh, of course. They were a hit back then, weren't they? Oh, yeah, they were, but that's the thing about fashionable food. (laughs) It goes out of fashion. But croissants have not gone out of fashion. Like, what, we've been eating them for over 100 years? So I I just had this... I, I can't even describe what the feeling was. I just knew that if I made a product to the very best of my ability that if I wanted that product there would be other people out there that wanted it I just I had a little bit of just what's the word I can't even think of it there's there's there's, okay so you've obsessed about croissant but you're saying I'm sure there's going to be other people who are going to obsess about something amazing as well surely paraphrasing surely surely like I have a friend that's obsessed with he knows where the best vanilla slice is and he knows where the best pork sausages are and he'll just yeah. trek around Melbourne to these little specialty stores because he knows that's his favourite. Yep. Like, why wouldn't people do that for croissant as well? Well, obviously they have. They've voted with their feet. And just to um, see you at the moment, well, for, for once there's not a line out the place, which uh, I, was, I felt really, really lucky when I came here because when this place, Elwood, was about lines, when this place opened, you could... People would happily wait for an hour to get a they croissant. They do sometimes. So weekends, we commonly still have the line. And if you'd been in the city store this morning, we had a line all the way past our shop window and into the next shop window. So maybe about 40 or 50 people lined up mm. constantly for the first few hours we were open. So the thing is, though... I think the line scares people off, but over these last few years, we've not only worked on continuing to improve our products, our croissants, we've also tried to work on improving our service. And we really do have a slick system for providing people with really good quality but efficient service. So now those people waiting in the city today might have waited for a maximum of 10 or 15 minutes before being served. And when you see a line of 40 or 50 people, I think that's pretty decent. The almond croissant. Yes. Um, for some, and in the past, an almond croissant could be just an utter, utter disappointment because, in a way, for me, it was, for some people, it would appear, it was like, hey, we haven't sold our croissants. Don't worry. We can just cut them up and fill them up with sort of a, sort of a frangipani. Well, that's and we give it, it was like the Phoenix croissant. It was like the, or the Jesus croissant. It was, it, it risen from the dead. And 
pretty disappointing. Yes, but that's that was an austerity measure that French bakers began. They didn't want to throw out product at the end of the day. Yes. So adding that stale product, adding a sugar syrup to it, and then a frangipan, and then baking it again, mm. they got to sell it as you said, as a, as a tarted up product of its predecessor. It's a phoenix pastry. Yeah. Yes, (laughs) it is. When you find a good almond croissant, it can be a thing of beauty. Oh, it's a revelation. But classically, the French will, instead of just brushing on the sugar syrup, they will drop the whole croissant in a bucket of sugar syrup overnight. So the whole thing becomes this soggy, doughy mess. And then when they bake it, they'll bake it with a tray flattening the pastry. So It's the dead cat pastry. But have you seen a loon one? Yeah, well, have I seen a loon one? Are you, yeah, that just blew me away. First of all, I've got to ask you, is there like a team of people just holding up little slivered almonds? Because I've, folks, have you ever worked with slivered almonds? They sort of scatter and they go all over the way. Somehow, Kate has worked out a way to regiment these almonds. How do you, can you, how do, you do that? Oh, look, it's... There's a technique to it. Yeah. And you know is what? Is it an apparatus or is it a technique? It's an it's a technique. So all of our pastry chefs, they probably, I dread to think of the hours that they spend topping almonds. There is one girl that works in the kitchen, Michaela. Yeah. She is a gun. Nobody can touch her. She is the fastest and the most precise. Almond spreader. Oh, she is like a true almond genius. Yes. And she's just come back from holiday. So when I saw her yesterday, oh, I was thrilled. It's a praise Jesus moment. But okay, just to describe uh, an almond croissant from here, from Loon, um, it looks a bit like um, maybe an echidna because yeah. all these, uh, echid- I was going to say porcupine, but the, the spines are too long. Stegosaurus. Stego. Maybe. S- but I think echidna nice. croissant. Somehow they're all organised. The French Apani has such depth of flavour and... There's a couple of secret things in there. There is. There's some spooky spooky turns it takes because I remember having one the other day and went, hang about. Yeah. But you know what I think is the true majesty of the Loon Almond Croissant is the fact that you still get the shape of the croissant and the crunch of the outside. It's not one big soggy mess that's consistent the whole way through. You get the crunch of the croissant, the softness and the depth of flavour of the frangipan. I love those toasty textural almonds on top. And um, I think I think for a reason it's a lot of people's favourite loon pastry. It has become the biggest seller I've heard. It is. I think we had one weekend where on one day... We sold over 900 almond croissants. Now, imagine how long they all took t- to top with almonds. The mind boggles. It really, really does. What was the girl's name? Who's the gun? Michaela. Michaela. Thank God you are here, Michaela. This operation is is just incredible. Dedicated, well, not just to one pastry. Um, there's a few of them now. Are there um, the, your other children? Um, that you have of, of, of the family ca- of your of the family that come out of the oven every day. Um, what are the other favourites, and are you working on anything else at the moment? So, we do one pastry called a cruffin. It's not my favourite of the range, but it is a very popular pastry, and it's now made all over the world. But I actually created it. Are you the cruffin creator? I am the cruffin creator. Imagine oh. having that on your CV. Cruffin oh. Central. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the epicenter. When I was supplying everyday coffee down in Collingwood, one of the owners at the time would, every morning when I showed up, he'd grab a croissant out of the box and eat it. And I thought, oh, Joe, you're eating the profits. Yeah. So then one night, 
I was standing shaping the pastries and I had a bit of scrap pastry left over and I knotted it and dropped it in a muffin tin and I thought I'm going to bake that up and put that in the box for every day tomorrow and that can be Joe's breakfast so he's not wasting a croissant. So I kind of left and 10 minutes after I'd done their delivery, Joe called me and he went, oh my God, that was amazing. Can we have two dozen of them for Friday and we're going to call them cruffins, a croissant in a muffin tin. Yes. And the name kind of stuck. So I'm in Paris a few years ago and I'm telling somebody about this product I make called a cruffin and the look on his face was oh, okay. well, well, like turned in his grave. Yes, what are you talking about? He was like, cruffin? It sounds a bit like an STD. And I've never been able to shake that now, but, well, shake that vision yes, from my yes. mind. But it, it's a popular pastry. And so. who, who was, sorry, just to refresh my memory, who was the guy that you were first working with um, at the bakery who you had the contretemps with? Sebastian? Uh, Sebastian. Yeah, oh, he well, would have not What liked... if you told Sebastian? Oh, I, I won't. To this day, it will remain a secret. <laughs> he would have given you... The, the shoulders would have come up, the lips would have gone down, the classic... No perno for you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. A cruffin's a really good pastry because it, it's a little bit like a bomboloni donut. Yes. It lends itself to being filled with flavors. So, yes. my if we're going to, if I'm going to eat a croffin, my favorite is actually the peanut butter and jam. So we make a peanut butter flavored creme pâtissière, and then just a little bit of French raspberry jam, and we roll it in a cinnamon sugar. And it's kind of like a really delicious bomboloni, but butter more buttery. That sounds so, really good. Yeah. Even yeah, even I'm, I might have one of those, but uh, I find it very very hard to just go past uh, a croissant. And I take off one of the ears and I dunk, and then I take off the other ear and I dunk. But maybe because of what you said, um, I will try just going with a crunch, but uh, I will never put a knife to a, a croissant. I promise you that. Uh, the logo, how did that come about? Isn't it genius? So, first of all, the woman behind that is a woman called Susie Tuxon, who works for a company called, or she owns a friend of mine design studio. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that she'd mocked up this design for us, so we decided to change our branding when we moved from Elwood to Fitzroy. And I'd actually created the first logo, which was a more mid-century space race style rocket that was oh, yeah. inspired by the, like this link, yes. by the Tintin comic Objective Des- Loon. No, Destination Des- Moon. I've read the same but thing. I know this design. Objective yes. Loon. Uh, mon Dieu. So that's where Loon came from, from the Tintin comic. Wow. Yeah. Captain Haddock would be so proud of you. And there's also some nice links, like I was an yes. aerospace engineer, I really yes. love the moon, and croissants are crescent-shaped, croissant yes. loon. Yes. Crescent moon. So It all makes sense. But so Susie Tuxon was the genius behind the little tail of the rocket being a croissant. Yes. So I have her to thank for that. Oh, wow. And it's a, it's a brilliant bit of communication. I didn't get the link between uh, Tin Tin. Should you ever reheat a croissant? I wouldn't, but each to their own. Mm. You know... I think, I'm, and I'm sure most chefs would agree with this, like a really nice eye fillet steak should be cooked medium rare. But you know what? If a customer comes in and they adore their steak well done, well, I I wouldn't heat one up for a customer here. But mm. once they've taken it out the door, it's their choice what they do with it. Do you know a lot of our, I love this, mm. a lot of our customers use croissant as roti bread to have with curry. 
Uh, Andrew McConnell did on a menu at Supernormal Canteen. I told him that. Did you? And he used loon croissants to do the roast. Yeah, they were awesome. They were awesome. How good was Natsu? Oh, Natsu was just, that's maybe the best vegetarian food I've ever had. It should be permanent. Two weeks is an injustice to Melbourne, I feel. Yeah. 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 The shiitake mushrooms. Oh, the shiso peach and buffalo mozzarella. The, oh. Yeah, yeah. No, there was there was They're a lot doing of, that at Marion now. A, a really, really good things happening yeah. there. Kate, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat to you and find out about just. Also, it's a great thing I think for Melbourne to hear your voice because there has been so much that's been written about you, and I think for a lot of people, this will be the very, very first time they hear you speak. Maybe Maybe. I do have a voice. Many, many thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, I look forward to more and more croissants in the future. Maybe some more echidnas. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. appreciate it. Ah, that sounds like it's going to be a good show. Mm. And uh, looking back on uh, what we've just done, Kate Reid, I've got to say that... uh, some people, by their very existence, make it makes a town greater. And yeah. I'd say that uh, she's improved the lives of a lot of people. Yes. One croissant at a time. Yes. And if you want to listen to the full interview, what on earth do people do, Matt? We're going to podcast it just after this show that we're broadcasting right now. Then we're going to edit it up. We'll pick it. So if you just uh, subscribe to eat it on your favorite podcast app. Uh, it'll land in your inbox, and you can hear a little bit more about um, a lot not, more. Perhaps not so much the cookingy aspects of Kate's life, but you were saying. Well, uh, it's the the, uh, the the rise and fall of working in Formula One, and then the clawing back to uh, find that hospitality was her thing. Mm. Great, Envy. I really um, enjoyed speaking with her. It's twelve forty-one here on Three Triple RFM. We got good news. Uh, we got a giveaway. We got so, a giveaway. Do, Cam, do you like beer? Do- do I like beer? Do you like an event held every year in Melbourne called the Good Beer Week? It's an inst- oh stop it okay no it's a it's a great thing it's, it's an actually, institution it's not, and settle down people it's not on for a while so Good Beer Week yeah. is not on until May. However, <laughs> however, they want us uh, to know there's a gala showcase on uh, to launch the Good Beer Week uh, in the middle of March. So, so this is sort of the rattling of the beer can. Kind of is. Yeah, it is. It kind rattling of is. The beer can. So on Saturday the 16th of March from 5 p.m. Uh, in Fed Square, there's the gala showcase for Good Beer Week 2019. There's going to be 30 Australian brewers there. Oh. It's kind of like the launch. Oh, so this is what it is. It's like the launch of the program. The so launch you can go of the there program. And you can well, drink, I did one of those yeah. for um, Good Food and Wine Festival. There's yeah. all the great uh, things that are going to be happening it's west good. side. Yeah. Eat, drink, west side. Awesome. Yeah, very, very good. No, I understand where they're coming from. No, it's going to be a good event. So it's uh, Saturday night on the 16th of March if you're free. We've got a double pass to give away, 93881027. You can go there and you can drink beer. And if you don't win the tickets, you can go there anyway. But yes. you must be a subscriber. Oh, you must be. Yeah, because that's one of the great things. You are in trouble and also... Uh, Matt Stedman has these homicidal tendencies that uh, come out with non-subscribing people. Yeah. So don't get caught in the crosshairs of Stedman. No. Don't subscribe and uh, give us a call. People are already doing that. Hey, we- earlier today, uh, you went down to the Queen Vic Mark. I did. Shall we have a listen? Yes, I think let's find out what happened there. Uh, John, um, seems that uh, I'm looking around and business seems pretty brisk today. Yeah, there's quite a few people walking around. It's a lovely morning. Mm. It's not too hot, not too cold. There's a little bit of a cool lick in the air, mm. uh, which I rather enjoy. Yeah, we, I was sort of mentioning that as a little preamble. And I said, do you reckon autumn's around the corner? And you said, 
No, not really, not but really. just a little bit of cool air yeah. is um, a little bit of a different feeling and a very good feeling because sometimes we've just got so hot, hot on the shoulders, hot inside, yeah. but life's good. Hot and bothered. I know the, yeah, I know the feeling, and I think uh, uh, a lot of us, well, certainly myself, goes, this is actually pretty good. This is the sort of weather I prefer, to be honest with you. Um, now, you've brought out some humongous tomatoes here tomato city what are these yeah it's rather strange because this is a doncaster tomato now normally this tomato is about uh eight centimeters across normally they're only about five centimeters across um maybe just a little bit more but these are huge heavy they look like a beefsteak tomato if i didn't know different i would say they were and when you do cut them they are quite fleshy and um i said to tony the fellow that grows them I said, are they a different tomato? And he said, no. He said, it's just the weather. Um, some tomatoes bulked up really quick and some didn't. And uh, that's the product. And the aroma and the flavour of them is just unbelievable. Some uh, are higher acid when they're green, but when they turn red, they're more sugar than acid. And people still look for the acid. What do you use this one for? Uh, this one, tomato on toast is a little bit riper when they're a little bit greener. Yeah. A beautiful salad. Uh, caprese sauce sauce yeah the, when they're really ripe they make a beautiful thick rich red sauce yeah how, how do you make your tomato sauce just quickly well it depends if you're in a hurry we just fry off a bit of onion if not we fry off a bit of meat you know you braise a bit of meat mm-hmm. um whatever and then throw your tomatoes on top all we put in it is um parsley garlic basil at the end um, did Any I say sugar? onion? Any no, sugar? no, no, no. Some people only... I know, they put like a, even just a five cent piece worth, yeah, half a it, teaspoon. If you see that when you're getting to nearly cooked and there's a lot of that scum on the top, yeah. you see that's higher in acid, that's maybe when you might drop a little bit of sugar. My uh, auntie uh, was the Australian side of the family, she always put sugar in because yeah. she liked it a little bit sweeter anyway. But yeah, it just takes that edge off and... Um, yeah, that's why people put the sugar in. Yeah, and uh, basil or no basil? Uh, always basil. Always basil, When yeah, the yeah. sauce is nearly cooked. And dare I say, isn't that, for me, that's one of the most enjoyable parts of it because I usually make a little ritual of getting a little piece of string and I tie up the little bunch of the string and then I tie it to the handle and then I pop it in and then all of a sudden there's this beautiful aroma. Oh, definitely. I and, love that. and my father and I are the ones that scoop all the basil and put it on top of our plate. <laughs> ah, okay. That's the, that's the one we go for. Um, all right. Um, now, uh, what have we got? So we're coming to the stone fruit is peaking at the moment, it has to be said. It is peaking. A lot of the better stuff selling 5 or $6 a kilo. Yeah. You can still pick up bargains of good stone fruit about $2 or so a kilo. Mm. Just be wary of what you buy that hasn't been sitting around so that it's gone brown on the inside rather than the outside. Yes. So make sure it's been looked after and it's fresh. Yeah. Always good to have a smell of stone fruit before you buy it too, I reckon. That's always yeah, a good but indication. Some stone fruit's getting like tomatoes doesn't always have a fragrance, but the flavour's good. Okay. And All that's right. what people smell a tomato say, smell's not important. So, I can tell you that they've got flavour. So, so not an good. absolute. Uh, grapes are really starting to come in. I'm hearing that a lot of the winemakers are starting to bring in their grapes to make the wine, so therefore... The table grapes must be following, and we must be getting into a peak time for those. Oh, definitely. We've still got the old varieties. We've got the natural size sultanas. We've got muscatels with a seed. Yeah. There's a lot of crimson grapes out there. Uh, the big black 
grapes, uh, there's globes, there's the long ones like a, a little finger. Don't like those. There's an, no, me either. There's an abundance of grapes. So get out there, yeah. see which one you like, yeah. and hoe into them because now's the time. And even with the little sultanas, I gave a big bag of loose ones to someone and they took them home and made a, a juice with them. That'd be great. Oh, yeah, really, mate. Really good. If you let it ferment for a few days and then, then you boil it up and drink it as a mousse, that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's so it. So what are we doing? You just sort of leave it out and you the natural yeasts affect the sugar. Yeah. Fermentation starts. You'll see it start to bubble. And then you're saying boil it up so then you yeah, kill yeah. all the yeast. Yeah. And, and then you drink it. a little bit it. of alcohol in there? Yeah, not so much, yeah, but okay. yeah, it doesn't hurt if it's there. It sounds, it sounds a little bit like um, apple season when they make scrumpy. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's yeah, like that's this right. living, living thing, and yeah, it's yeah. absolutely delicious because you, you still you haven't fermented out all those sugars, so you've got that's this right. lovely... Mm, very, very yeah, intense. There's a little bit of homework for everybody yes. to do. Um, don't give too much to the kids so they might fall over. Uh, <laughs> um, might be a good thing. Might be a good thing. Uh, <laughs> passion, well, passion fruits, five for $2. Yeah, so Whoa. now's the time to either freeze some or make your own passiona. Oh, wow. Put it into carbonated water or, or lemonade like I do sometimes. More homework. Go get passion fruits, folks. Uh, bake a cake, make a passion cheesecake, fruit. Cheesecake, cheesecake. Cheesecake. Uh, passion fruit ice cream. Oh, yeah, icing, yeah. icing. I'm not usually a big icing fan, but for some reason, passion fruit icing, I go a little bit. It just does it for you, I go a little it? bit bloody crazy going on, that sort of thing. Have you seen the price of peas and beans oh, and what? broccoli? How much? Oh, it's rather tragic. Well, a a lot of the veggies... Broccoli peaks in the winter, right? Yeah, but right. normally even through summer, we're lucky they've got varieties that grow really yeah. well through summer, yeah. and we still sell it for next to nothing. Mm. But um, everything's been frazzled up in Mildura. They lost the crops of eggplant, zucchini and so on. So they skyrocketed a little bit. Uh, for a couple of weeks, we had to sell hydro eggplant. But peas and beans also been affected. We're selling 15 and $16 a kilo this week. And I believe they were selling that wholesale in Sydney. So it'll come down here. We'll probably be, we may sell $20 a kilo next week. Just avoid. All right, pick avoid. of the market. Pick of the market. Still buy a handful of beans because we love our beans as well. Broccoli and cauliflower were on my list this morning. Joseph taught a list in half, threw it away. So <laughs> there you go. And he so, got away with it. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, you don't have to eat that sort of stuff. There's plenty of other veggies out there. We've got beautiful carrots that are still very, very cheap. You know, you can make juice or baked carrots or mm. even fried carrots like we do. Um, pumpkin's been good too. We've been having roasts with pumpkin. The other day, Franca did uh, lamb roast, pumpkin and potatoes. What can I say? It's all out there. Have a look at the quality. Don't forget it's been hot. So choose what you like and have a feast. Sounds good advice to me. Thanks as always, John. We're going to see you for a uh, more comprehensive, maybe source report in two weeks' time. How's yeah, that sound? definitely. We can do that because it's definitely time for sauce. Done. See you later. Thank you. All the best. 12.52 here at 3 triple RFM. Uh, it's heated. We've been talking about food and yeah. stuff. We've been looking at the croissant. We've been at market and stuff like that. And I thought maybe it's a good time to go to a bottle shop in Kyneton and have a chat to Anna Kelly. Hey. Hey. How you going? Hey. Yeah, I'm good, Cam. Uh, Anna, um, by way of introduction to uh, the listeners, uh, you are, of course, the patron of uh, Plains mm. Paddock Lamb. Yeah. Yep. This is this I is am. a correct statement. Lover of yes, dogs. Yes, it is. I've, 
I am a lover of dogs, but I'm, I'm playing paddocks on hold for the moment um, because of drought conditions and things. So I'm sort of switching over to doing a lot of advocacy with Meat and Livestock Australia, which is so rewarding. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So I sort of travel around the countryside and remind everyone that Aussie farmers are brilliant at what they do. Yes. And tell them all the reasons why, welfare and nutrition and all the rest of it. And just remind them that to buy some red meat because um, it's good for everybody, really. Well, health, yeah. And I, yeah. I can see that position that you take. Of course, there's some that uh, decide that meat yeah. isn't part of their diet and that's their decision to make and all that it sort is. of stuff. And that's a great thing, living in a free country and a democracy. How, you, yes. how are the dams up where you are? Uh, look, they're pretty low. Um, in fact, they're really, really low. It's yeah. very dry, actually. Yes. Um, there's not one single blade of grass on the ground, and hence why I have no livestock because I just couldn't. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I just couldn't do it any longer, actually. The um, the burden, the emotional burden was a bit much, um, and financial, obviously, but yeah. I think it's more about I don't want hungry animals. Um, because it does, so they, even though, you know, the... <laughs> They are bred for the table, they are bred for the plate, and yet you still have an emotional attachment because this we, yeah. this is the reason why we call it, I suppose it's a bit of a sexist term, but animal husbandry. Yeah, um, but it's, uh, it is about looking for the, ad, well, the, the welfare yeah. of, of the animals. And I think the thing that we wanted to have a chat about was just to alert people to a great tragedy that is unfolding above the Tropic mm-hmm. of Capricorn. Um, Around how widespread is it, Anna? Is it just oh, around Townsville? It's, it's uh, oh no no, it's no. way west into uh, Julia Creek, Concurry, Winton. Um, oh, yes. It's a massive amount of land um, and animals have been affected, and people obviously. Yes, uh, it's actually hard to get your head around the size, but yeah, way west. Yeah, and this is a conspiracy happening. of uh, of of weather um, that has um, happened. Um, Unbelievable yeah. biblical uh, rain yeah. that has, has come down, uh, like meters of rain, which is hard for us down here to get our heads around, really. Yeah, it is. It's sort of New Zealand, southern New Zealand weather where they have meters of rain every year. But um, uh, the problem is, and it has rained a hell of a lot, and it's been relentless. Um, but wind, it's still this inland cyclone that sat over this country for three can days. I, can I just stop you for a second, Anna? Have you put yourself on hands-free or something? It sounds like yeah, Bluetooth no, I'm, is no, taking I'm over. back now. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let's, let's keep it that way um, because uh, it sounds yeah. better. Sorry, so so can we just reiterate that? Um, I just said uh, this inland cyclone is just sitting... We had been sitting over after the rains all came, but mm. the cyclone sort of descended and didn't move and it was three days and three nights of um, freezing cold winds up to 70 k's an hour, which is actually... Done probably more damage to the livestock than the than the rain, or hasn't helped. But yeah. Mm. So so not only is everything sodden and wet, but it's just been. Uh, it's the opposite of a hairdryer effect. It's uh, it's like a, it's just it's relentless like air cold air yeah. conditioner yeah. that's just been turned on to full. Oh yeah, my exactly. god! And so and we're then, we're looking at. Yeah. Oh sorry. And then I'm. Oh no! I was going to say. And then of course the access. Um, with all that water everywhere, but has meant that no, nothing can move really in that condition. So yeah, it's right. stuck or stranded, or it's up to its ears in in uh, water or mud. So, yeah. uh, so what sort of numbers are we talking about now? Well, look, I've got some friends up there. I'm talking to them every day. They've lost um, at last count, which was two days ago, three thousand cattle. Um, they're estimating the talk on the ground is up to seven hundred thousand. Cattle, um, mostly females, 
yes. because they're breeders. Yes. Um, a lot of calves at foot. Um, oh, so it was calving season before. two, was it? Yeah, calving uh, towards the end of last year, and then oh. they, so they have a calf on the ground, or, and possibly one inside ready to go for next year because they usually get the balls back in um, just to keep things moving along. So they've lost years of genetic breeding, you know, this, this research and the everything they want, all the desirable traits they want. They've bred it into their animals, and they've lost it just like this. And then, of course, it's going to take so long for them to recover. Um, because they've lost their yearlings and they've lost their breeding stock and their bulls and um, it's horrible. But more than that, it just would just be so goddamn heartbreaking to walk out or catch a helicopter out because you can't get around in a vehicle at the moment. Um, mm. Everything's been done by air and just seeing the animals um, strewn all over the countryside, it's, hot, it's heartbreaking. Matt Steadman, who's next to me, um, was uh, we were talking about this before, and uh, Matt was too, you were talking about the army was uh, there were actually yeah. requests to actually bring the army in to help, and those requests have been rebuffed, unfortunately. Yeah, I think um, Which is a shame. it is. Uh, I don't know why that is. I'm not. Sh- I'm not across those details, but mm. um, I'm hearing that a lot of private helicopter companies, um, especially up in the top end, there's, everyone gets around by a helicopter apparently. Um, yeah. So they're all coming in to help drop feed. But, of course, there's a weight problem with the bales of hay and the, all these sort of things. It's a logistical, absolute logistical nightmare and, um, yeah, really hard to even know where to begin. And now, of course, everything that's dead is beginning to rot. The flies are out of control and the smell. Um, my friend Nat is getting masks, special masks, flown in so they can right. actually start burying everything I think she said tomorrow it's going to happen when they've got the machinery organised it's not good so uh, but let's end this on a positive note we've got about one minute yeah. Anna um, okay. one thing we did mention was the fact that uh, there's a whole bunch of grey nomads that uh, and sometime yeah. soon will be heading up north and uh, a lot of those will be there and will help out the homestead owners which is a good thing they will Actually, Blaze Aid, which has been so amazing with all the fires over the years and I think came about after the big fire, yes. um, are up there they've got a camp at Cloncurry. You can turn up, you can bring your kids in the school holidays and you can go out and help fencing. And how, the grey nomad, nomad, and they feed you actually. It's amazing. So How do they find out? Work. How do we find out about that, Anna? Blaze Aid is actually... Oh, Blaze Aid. Is, in, yeah. Yeah, good. All right. So there the you internet. go. So um, everyone should be able to Google that. Or all your right. listeners are. And ah. then there's um, the CWA too. Ah. Okay. Well, Anna, it's um, it's a terrible tale that uh, that we paint, but um, here in the city we shouldn't ignore it, and here in the southerners we shouldn't ignore it, and there are things that we can do to help, and through that comes a little bit of understanding. Good to talk to you, Anna. Thanks, Cam. Eat more beef. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah, occasionally. Um, Matt. An absolute pleasure. We'll see you at barbecue next barbecue week. Barbecue day next week. Uh, so why wouldn't you come on down? Still here is up next. Neil's not in, but Neil's uh, not in. Still a good hour. It's going to be an awesome hour. Hang in for the afternoon. Switching over now. Thank you, folks. This has been a podcast from Three Triple R One Hundred Two Point Seven FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.